My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. And on this bleak winter's day, there's been a little bit of brightness to affairs as the Plan B COVID restrictions have now been dropped in England and hopefully adding even more brightness to the national mood today. Joining me on today's programme is Andrew Debray, Managing Director of Factum. Um, Andrew, welcome to you and thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Likewise, Andrew, pleasure welcoming you onto the uh, the programme as well. Um, now, um, just for those regular listeners that might not be familiar with Factum and what it is that you do, you're a client-centric consulting and advisory firm. That's sort of the crux of your work, isn't it? Yes, uh, at a high level, that's a good description. I'm more specifically what we do is provide uh, consulting and assistance to organisations of, of any size, really, who are trying to uh, initiate change in their organisation through the use of IT and IT systems. So at, at the heart of what we do is, is really helping businesses uh, choose systems, implement systems, uh, improve and get the best data systems that they have, uh, and maybe bring some knowledge into their organisation uh, that they might not have if they are improving or maybe upscaling IT. So how to support systems, uh, how to train, uh, and how to keep those systems running effectively. Yeah, and um, I'm right in saying as well, aren't I, that you haven't always been involved in that line of work. You've worked in the defence industry, you worked in the technology sector before, so it is quite the extensive background that you do have in the business world, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Actually, my, my very first job was in the defence industry, and I think really that's where my, uh, let's call it a passion for, for IT and systems really started. Um, I was very lucky to have that first role in what was a very interesting uh, industry in terms of IT. Um, IT in uh, defense equipment is, is very different. Uh, it has to have you know, a very, very high degree of reliability, uh, accuracy. Uh, the implementation of the IT is also slightly different. So when you think that your servers or your equipment might be sat on a warship that's, that's sailing around or it might be on the top of a mountain in freezing conditions or something else, uh, the the challenges are, are somewhat different. So my first five years was in the defence industry, and I learned a massive amount about different types of systems, different types of customer requirements, uh, the the needs of the organisation in its entirety when looking at IT. And really, that kind of fueled uh, a number of my uh, career decisions uh, from from then onwards. Yeah, I was about to ask actually, um, what was it that sort of made you decide that going into business and founding Factum for yourself was sort of going to be the way forward for you? How did that come about? Yeah, that's an interesting one actually. So the, the reason was really uh, being able to see some of the struggles that clients had from the roles that I had with before. So I spent uh, a good number of years in vendor uh, uh, who provided IT solutions. And what I always found interesting, given that I was on the project side, is there were challenges as to how far those vendors could go in uh, providing their products. And I don't mean around what they had control of, but for example, these clients would be interested in hardware, they would be interested in training programs, they would be interested in support framework. And it was very hard as a, as a vendor to, to properly cover all of those aspects. And that's really where the idea for Factum 
came from is having run projects for 10 years or more uh, and listening to clients say, well, can you help with this? Can you help with that? Uh, and being a little bit limited from a vendor perspective as to what we could provide, the, the idea really was, well, to provide those services. So to tie in what the vendor can give, to tie in what other consultancies can give, uh, to tie in maybe other complementary solutions, uh, and just to help the customer maybe solve some of those problems for themselves. So, so that was really the genesis of Factum, was to, to provide that, uh, let's say, one-stop shop for all the services that somebody may need around an IT system, even if we don't provide them themselves. We still work with the, the vendor, we still work with other companies, and they don't all have to come from Factum directly. Yeah, it makes perfect sense from my perspective. And having touched on the fact that, you know, Plan B restrictions in England have been ditched from today, I think it would be remiss of us not to touch on the ongoing sort of COVID-19 situation and sort of go right back to sort of March 2020 when everything changed. And particularly within those early weeks and months of the pandemic, um, what were some of the operational challenges that immediately struck you at Factum? And how would you say that you sort of went about addressing those challenges? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. So um, I know lots of different industries, lots of different companies are different. So to share my view and our view and the companies that we work with, um, in some ways we were lucky because we have always had a remote working people. And in fact, I, I myself have been remote, mostly remote-based since 2007. So one of the, the benefits was we were already prepared when COVID arrived and there was this mass uh, exodus from towns, cities, office blocks to, to homes. Um, but one of the impediments was actually the speed at which clients and other organizations could respond to that. They didn't necessarily have the IT infrastructure for people to work from home. Um, computers or other equipment might be based in offices and people didn't have uh, access to equipment at home. And actually, very practically, one of the, the big lessons we learned was uh, just saying we'll work from home it is not a solution in its own right because people may be very limited in how they can work from home. Mm. Uh, their home life, their home layout may not really support home working or, or at least not being in an office. So one of the things we actually had to do before we could look at continuing any project or delivery work was how we can help our clients actually start that capability and continue that their fundamental operation uh, working remotely. Yeah, and I can imagine that that was tricky because, like I say, infrastructure doesn't always obviously support it within every single business. And a lot of companies were having to sort of take all of their services online overnight to great difficulty. And also as well, um, we talk about sort of some of the like work-life balance benefits of uh, working from home. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I suppose, isn't it? Because when you are sort of working from home and you don't have that office space to go into you can feel the effects of social isolation. And when you're only connected to your colleagues, um, your friends as well, uh, through sort of remote means like Zoom, like Microsoft Teams, it can sometimes be difficult to spot the social cues of when somebody is struggling a little bit, can't it, compared to when you're there in person and you can read their body language that little bit better. So from a well-being perspective as well, I can imagine that the remote deployment was also a little bit of a challenge. Yes, yes, they were, and actually, um, one of the things that we always try to focus on is learning uh, and looking at problems and how we dealt with them, dealt with them, what they taught us. And actually, uh, from my perspective, I learned a massive amount from looking at the uh, non 
condition of affect to work at home. So not worrying about a laptop or does somebody have two screens, but what, what are their facilities like at home? Do they feel that they're now chained to the computer? Do they have to answer emails uh, of an evening because they, they can answer emails uh, of an evening? Um, how do they, they deal with their, their home environment? And, and actually, there were some things that hadn't really been considered at all that suddenly became very important. Uh, we had one uh, employee who asked for some level of office interaction because at home they, they just didn't have an office. They lived actually in a, in a shared house. Uh, mm-hmm. A number of people were working from home and there was distractions. Uh, they never really felt that they, they left their bedroom, which was their own space within this obviously shared house. And they were, they said, but please, is there any way you can do something for me? Is there any place you can get me to? So I leave my house. Uh, and also, there was a little bit of coaching as well. Um, I myself have uh, a dog, and I found it really useful just to, to take 10 minutes out uh, and just go and get a bit of fresh air and take the dog out. Now, obviously, not everybody has a dog, but there's nothing wrong with their downing tools for, for 10 or 15 minutes, uh, going outside, getting a, a breath of fresh air. And, and converting that, um, let's call it water cooler conversation mm. time to, to just taking a break. Um, if you think about an office, you might go and make yourself a cup of tea. You might bump into somebody in the kitchen. You'll have a chat about anything. You might know shared interests. You might talk about football. It doesn't really matter. The point is you have disconnected from your work. You're, you're talking about something else. So we actually had to find uh, that we were coaching and helping people and, and let them know it was okay. To, uh, to take a break. They didn't have to be available all the time in case a phone call was made or, or an email came in or a meeting request was there. Um, and also, in some cases, there were some real benefits from it. So, again, uh, a couple of employees found they were able to massively shift their work-life balance for the better by starting a little bit earlier in the day or maybe taking some time out in the afternoon to be with the kids when they came home from school and then maybe logging on a little bit later in the evening to clear their, their backlog before they, they start the next day. So it, it was an empowering situation. And I don't want to um, make make it appear that, that COVID was good. Uh, COVID has been massively detrimental mm. globally. But the thing that, that we do say is please try and find a benefit, a positive, and, and work that to the good. And, and we've really tried to do that. And in fact, um, people talk about the new normal. People absolutely should be thinking about what they have adopted as a result of COVID and how they can continue that, perpetuate it, and improve on it going forward. Yeah, I think that's very right. I think we do have to look at the silver lining in the dark and dense cloud that's lingered over all of us for seemingly so long now. And I think you are right in saying that the lessons that we take forward from COVID are going to be very important in terms of our sort of workplace cultures, our workplace well-being. And I think the workplace under the uh, the new normal, particularly for office-based work, it's going to be very different, isn't it? It looks as if, because of the benefits of both sides, the hybrid workplace is probably going to be the way of things as the status quo now. Yes, 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 I think so. And uh, there's a couple of things that we the hybrid workplace. I think one um, aspect is going to be do you still have this principle of the top desk? Or maybe you just have fewer desks that are assigned that the people can work from home more. Do people have a, a much clearer um, official work-life balance? So they are only uh, the 
one day a week where there is a council meeting or some kind of uh, collective team forum. Uh, do you have standing time every day where people just jump, uh, jump on the call? I've seen some really good uh, effects of people booking a call, which is not a work call at all. It's just to have that social chat that you would have had if you'd been in the office. So um, I think it's going to be very important to, to recognize that you don't have to suddenly return to a Monday, Friday, 9 to 5 uh, from a number of reasons. If we've talked about mental health, we've talked about work-life balance. Uh, it also should not be ignored. And, and again, I, I talk from, from our position, particularly where uh, our clients uh, and our employees were in London, that we found people were not having to buy season tickets. So they were financially better off. Like a visible benefit was they didn't have to spend the car park money, the bus money, the train money, etc. So um, I, I really do believe companies should look at how they can take some of the benefits forward long term. Like say maybe uh, less time in the office, maybe smaller offices. Mm. Maybe the office time is not about work and being chained to a desk. It's more about that social interaction, meetings, conversations training sessions, informed, that kind of thing. There's, there's lots of things you can do to keep people engaged without having them sat at a desk night to fight. And obviously you mentioned removing the commute as well. That, of course, has its benefits for the sustainability side of things. And I think that will be probably at the forefront of most organisations' concerns over the next few months and indeed years because we talk about sort of what's going on with the climate as being maybe why COVID came to be in the first place. We're talking a lot about the climate emergency being the next major challenge that we're going to have to face after the pandemic. So that's really going to be at the forefront of uh, the minds of business leaders moving forward, isn't it? And it's going to be interesting to see where we go with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's somebody who runs a company, um, we, we engage with, with people as well, those clients. You, you do need to think about that aspect, you know, how many journeys are being made, uh, how many flights are being taken. And as the technology improves, as the people's access to technology improves, and also the comfort of using that new way of working, these things absolutely should make a difference. And with any luck, that should permeate through organizations. There have been some very interesting articles over the last couple of weeks about those flights. Uh, Lufthansa forecasting they're going to make 18,000 ghost flights just to keep slots. Mm. If people aren't traveling, then those slots aren't going to be required. So let's think about how we can use this for the good. If you don't need somebody to get in a, get on the bus, get in the car, you know, then don't make them do it. Sustainability is going to be massively important as we see uh, the younger uh, workforce come through, this is going to be more important for them. Their purchase decisions are going to be based on sustainability. Their assessment of whether people are good or bad employers, good or bad customers, is going to be based on sustainability as well. So I think that is a factor that we absolutely should start considering. Yes, if you think about the evidence from COVID and suddenly the lack of flying, uh, all the articles about greener, cleaner skies, uh, more breathable air, uh, views across cities that you that people haven't seen for years. Um, the, the absolute evidence is there that if we can work smarter, then we will improve a number of levels and sustainability is absolutely one of them. 
Exactly right. And in a very difficult environment for recruitment right now as well, business leaders would do well, of course, to heed the concerns of prospective employees who do have those aspects at the forefront of mind, the environment. What are your sort of sustainability policies? Do you have flexible working patterns available? Are you prioritising employee well-being? These are all really, really important for certain. And as we sort of move into the uh, the future and hopefully move out of the acute phase of the pandemic in this new year as well, Andrew, I'd be interested to understand just before we wrap things up, um, what are some of your own priorities going to be at Factum and where do you see yourselves by this time at the end of 2022, would you say? Yeah, sure. And I'd like to pick up on your previous point, actually, that I think it's very important as uh, every year the workforce gets one year older, uh, we all think about those new arrivals, those, those younger employees, what they bring. Uh, they are certainly questioning a lot more, not just what they do for the company, but, but what the company can do for them, um, how we can work better, how we can still have sustainable or improved performance with a different work approach. Um, and that's certainly something that we're going to take through into 2022 as well. Uh, we're a very distributed workforce. Um, we have people working at home in the UK, we have people working in we have people working in Brazil, in Mexico City, uh, Singapore, uh, but they're all connected, one company, one organization. So, so let's start with, with the, the, uh, the health and the communication side of things to begin with in 2022. Uh, we're certainly going to be promoting more of that remote working ethos. Uh, we have people who can have new opportunities working on different projects. Uh, we can expose them to, to projects in the US. We can expose them to projects elsewhere, and that's good because it's a change, uh, it's something different, and, and it can help sort of fuel, fuel the mind rather than just the, the performance and the productivity of the company. Um, the other thing is, uh, for us, um, we do rely on uh, quite a lot of contract resource, given our projects are sometimes quite unique. And over 2022, we, we have a continual objective every year, and it's no different than 2022. We would like to, to continue to grow those consultants uh, uh, and those contractors that we work with to, to increase our workforce overall. But in some cases, it, it's also bring some of those skills in, in house as we grow. Uh, it, it's good to have that core knowledge within the company that we can start sharing uh, with, with other resources as well. So, so that's an improvement for us year on year. We, we like to grow generally, but we also like to grow as a company specifically what knowledge we have, what skills we can impart. Uh, and so over 2022, as we, we win new business, uh, we'd like to grow our knowledge, grow our skill set. Um, we are not about overextending ourselves. Uh, one of the key challenges for us is actually that very point. When we have a project, it might need 5, 10, 15 people. Um, we cannot immediately go and hire and employ 15 people like that. You can't find them. Um, you can't necessarily get the right skills, and you certainly can't administrate that kind of uh, hiring profile. So we need to rely on, on that contract labor. Um, but over time, uh, the growth needs to be steady, and, and we'd like more people working with Factum as employees. It's, it's valuable for us. We learn more. The more input we have uh, on the inside, the more we can, we can be different on the outside. So, so that's really how we're going to approach 2022. Same kind of corporate objective we have, uh, and we're just going to push them forward. Fantastic. And it's good that we're talking about sort of that hopeful kind of measured expansion as well. We can't sort of grow too quickly, grow beyond our means. And for any sort of young aspiring entrepreneurs tuning into this, that's probably one of the biggest single pieces of advice that you could probably give them. Don't sort of grow too quickly so that it's unmanageable and unsustainable. And as we start to see factums 
real vision start to be implemented over the course of the next year, Andrew, I'd actually relish the opportunity to welcome you back onto the show and just to catch up on how things are getting on because I've really enjoyed having you join us today. It's been really enlightening. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I would very much appreciate that as well. I think these chats are excellent. They, uh, they force a little bit of thinking and it's mm. also a good opportunity to share different views and opinions. Uh, when I was invited on for today, I went through and made sure that I had watched all the previous ones and saw the lines of questions and types of thinking. And, and I found it very useful. It has helped me think about things, uh, as you say, starting the new year, um, uh, changing the COVID regulations. I think it is a time to be thinking about things rather than just carrying on uh, without uh, thinking about the yeah, it's a real time to be thinking about sort of change and thinking about, uh, well, reflecting on everything that's gone before, how we're going to move forward rather than reverting to the status quo. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see just how, inju- how industry responds to these changes that are being thrust upon us. And Andrew, once again, thank you for joining us and do take care and stay safe with all that's still going on as well. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure welcoming Andrew Debray, Managing Director of Factum, onto today's show. And I do hope that all of you tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview just as much as I did. Um, if you did tune into today's programme and you feel that you have your own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then we want to hear from you. So why do you not apply to be on the show as well via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, please do take care and goodbye.